0: Lovely to have you with us, listener. It's Podcast 73. We're sitting on the wiggly sofa at Lower Blakemore Farm and we're here to share country tales from country folk. I'm Heather and I'm joined today by...
1: Farmer Phil.
0: Husband. And Alison. Not husband. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) On today's show we've got Robin Page back on the sofa to tell us all about organic farming. Or not. Which is best. That's Farmer Phil and Heather's most regular argument throughout our 15-year marriage. (laughs) We only have two arguments, don't we, Phil? Organic or not organic and...
1: Mac or PC.
0: (laughs) Oh, yes, that's right. What a silly sausage you are. Good old Mac. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind about the blue screen, Phil. Also got Monty coming in with his worm cast... Farmer Phil has some southern sayings which we will put as an outtake so as not to offend anyone. Sorry, NCN, they're coming up after the show, so tune out, please. But first of all, we want to know about Mothering Sunday. Now, do you remember that last year we got into trouble for referring to Mothering Sunday as Mother's Day? And we said, we are very sorry about that, dear listener. We shouldn't have done that. Anyway, it turns out that Mothering Sunday wasn't about celebrating mothers at all. It was actually about going back once a year to the original church that you used to worship in. So your mother church. And it's also the date at which you make your Simnel cake. Do you make a Simnel cake, Al? Yeah, I have made one before. Have mm. you? Mm. Lovely. Tastes nice? Yeah, Should we bring one in? That would be nice. Anyway, you mm-hmm. must make your Simnel cake this year on... March the eighteenth, and Anne says that sadly or gladly, because of climate change, we should have our own tulips ready. There'll right. be pussy willows in the bouquet, and also freesias. So we've only got a hundred this year. So if you do want one, you'll have to hurry up. I've ordered one for Valley, so that's ninety-nine. So crack on.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Farmer Phils get, get sheepish. The other day, Farmer Phil. When we were on our way to Ross, I looked over to the left and there was a field of mud, it seemed to me, with sheep all over it, apparently eating nothing. And I said to you, how is that right? Those sheep have got nothing to eat. There's mud everywhere. The soil must be falling off the field. And you said, they're on? Roots. On roots. And we've got some sheep now, so what's going on?
1: We have sheep on on tack, that's the phrase that describes you having somebody else's sheep on a crop on your farm. Depending on the arrangement, they either look after them or you do. And the idea is that you grow what's called a catch crop, which is a crop between your main crops, which mops up any excess nitrogen and soil nutrients, provides an overwinter fodder crop for, in this case, sheep, they put organic matter back into the soil by grazing it and so on. Pooing,
0: it, he means. <laughs> <laughs> grazing and it and so on. <laughs> it,
1: it fattens them <laughs> so that they can, they can then, because usually you put lambs on roots and fatten them.
0: So who instigates this? Is it that you really want to grow the break crop?
1: I like growing roots as the break crop for two reasons. One, it gives a small extra income. It's an extra crop it helps me get rid of any volunteer plants from the previous crop so it keeps the land clean and it also mops up any nitrogen so that you get you get the benefit use up everything you've put into the the field in nutrients and it's quite good for the soil but there is the proviso that you have to choose your field in terms of how wet or dry it is and you have to choose how you're going to do it because If you give the sheep nowhere dry to retreat to, some fields can get very muddy if the weather turns against you in in the wintertime and it can all end up in a horrendous mud bath, which, as you rightly pointed out, is bad for the soil structure, bad for the soil, bad for everything else, and not terribly good for the sheep either. But on the positive side, if it's correctly thought out and correctly managed, the sheep do very well on roots and they like them, you know, they're good for them, and it's good for the field.
0: I saw you left a strip, didn't you?
1: Well, what we tend to do is, th- there's two ways of doing it. it the, the, the piece of strip or piece of ground which hasn't got roots on is termed runback, and the idea is that you give them fresh roots every day or every couple of days, and they graze fresh roots and then they'll go and lie down on the dry, on the firm, which is the runback. Now, that might be a permanent pasture field or it might be an unplanted part of the root field. In our case, we leave a headland right round the outside so, that we're not putting fertiliser into the hedges and the run back, that the shelter is next to the hedge, so that the sheep can shelter if the weather gets truly horrible. They've got the shelter of the hedge, and because it goes right around the field, depending on which direction the weather's coming from, there should be shelter one way or another. And we've, we've done that this year, it seems to work quite well, so we're pleased with that.
2: You fatten lambs, don't you, Al? Uh, well, I fattened a few this year, yeah. How do you do it? On roots. But we also have our in lam ewes on roots, which, uh, like Farmer Phil says, they go onto the roots in the daytime and then they have a run back. So they run back onto permanent pasture for the evening and they're shut off them at night because otherwise it just becomes a total mud ball. and um, We haven't got the round the edge of the fields. Do you put it to grass, do you, Phil? Well, we just leave we, it as yeah, stubble. But leave there is
1: it. A, the, the other thing that we found is how you establish the roots makes a difference. So we what's called min-till, so we just run the discs lightly over the field and the stubble, and we spin the seed on with our quad bike with the applicator, so that there's minimal soil disturbance. If we plough it, the soil and it gets very wet over the winter, you can get that the soil structure is very soft, and the sheep will, will sink into it, and it gets muddy. But obviously the situation of the field and the type of soil have a huge bearing on it, that a sandier, stonier soil, gravelly soil, like some of ours, will put up with it much better than a clay soil which holds the water and, you know, if it rains for a prolonged period of time, you can get a hell of a mess.
0: Two things that spring to mind. First of all, these lambs, what age are they? Because they seem pretty big to me.
1: Well, a technical term for them is lumpers, I should think, but they're... they're Oh, no,
0: let's (laughs) have some technical terms. Is it tegs?
1: Is it weathers? Well, no, they're (laughs) not... Is it
0: ewes? (laughs) There's millions of names from them,
1: isn't there? Well, I mean, I'm no expert on sheep, but what I do know is that half these names are all for the same sort of sheep, aren't they? Alison will know the answer to this. Either
2: hogs or...
0: Oh, hogs! (laughs) People think those are pigs. Okay, so what, what what is the class of sheep that's on our farm at the moment?
1: Well, we've got lambs and some ewes. Now, a lamb is a young sheep which is being fattened to kill to eat, usually.
2: How old is that
1: so in our case, the lamb will be coming up to a year old.
2: Yeah, mine were just about a year when I sold them. But because these lambs that are fills are in a muddy field, mm. if they're going into a fat market to be sold for fat direct to the abattoir, they now have to have their bellies sheared mm. and back end sheared, don't they? Because they're all muddy. That's a new regulation that's coming, isn't it? I didn't. So realize. what
1: will probably happen to ours? You have probably noticed that our lambs. Uh, Some are grazing roots and some are grazing the grass seed aftermath. Yeah. And the idea is that you put them onto grass before they go to be sold because it gives them time to clean them up. Mm. You also put them on the grass when the weather gets bad because the grass, you know, they don't jig it up and they keep drier and happier.
2: Do you both eat lamb?
1: Absolutely, I do. Yeah,
2: I'm not too keen on Ah. (laughs) lamb. Or is Mm. that because you breed sheep? Um, Not really. I've never been too keen on lamb. I'll eat it, but it's not my favourite. Clive Dale
0: told me that if you want the best lamb, you have to wait till Easter. Is that right?
1: That's what they all say.
0: Yeah. He said, you wait till Easter, and that is the best lamb. I must say that I struggle with lamb because, I don't know, I just feel an affinity with the lamb. I don't really want to eat it, but I know it is delicious. I think
1: the thinking is that once you've got the first sense of spring grass that new growth of grass that that gives the meat a sweet succulence, that it doesn't have until they've just Mm. got that new grass in
0: that's interesting because we've got lots of grass now well
1: that's right i mean you know our our sheep are struggling to keep up with the fodder that we've got in front of them which is which is good because they're on top of the ground and they're very happy and doing very well but in in another year when there's not much to eat and it's pouring with rain it looks a bit different but that's about management and being able to move them around according to what the weather throws at you.
0: Well, it's a gardening podcast, but this week's full of farming. We've had loads of farming, and I think that's fantastic because farming is all about growing stuff, and that's what we like to do in our gardens. So we're going on to Robin Page talking about organic farming.
3: Robin Page is with us again. It's another nice little extract from Robin.
4: Yeah, it's nice to be back.
3: I've talked to Phil about this many times, the pros and cons of uh, of organic farming versus conventional farming. If you look on any paraphernalia from organic farmers, they will always say that organic farming is the only true sustainable way of farming. I mean, what do you think about that? Because I know, as part of your Country Restoration Trust, many of your farms aren't organic as
4: your own farm organic? No no it's not organic, I think that uh, you know these days that you should make the best of science and technology if it's proved and if it's sensible and so I would would claim that our sort of farming is not organic and it's not conventional because we actually use uh, chemicals sparingly but they are aimed at specific targets, we don't just cover everything with chemicals but then too we're very very aware that the use of any chemicals can be uh, potentially damaging and so nearly all our grass is organic grass right. but because nearly all our grass is by a brook and we don't want any spray material any chemicals running into the river system right. and so that is all organic our grass uh, and so we we use In fact, the same philosophy as I use for me, and that is when I go to the doctor, I say, Doctor, I've got an illness, cure me. And he will say, yes, if you take these antibiotics, you will get better. And so I do not then say to him, I want organic pills. I say, thank you very much, I will take them. I have never, ever heard anybody in the doctors or in a pharmacy say, I want organic pills, please. They all want to be cured. And so I have the same standards for CRT's animals, the CRT's plants, as we have for ourselves. Isn't it a
3: convenient argument, though? I mean, I've I've, I've argued with with lots of different farmers in many, many different settings, not to the same extent that I've argued with Phil, but isn't it a convenient argument to say that you only use chemicals where you think that they're appropriate? And where you assume that they'll only have a minimal impact, why is it that organic farming can take place? And organic, and you know, productivity certainly is affected as a consequence of not using chemicals. But
1: organic can, farmers use organic chemicals. Farming, sorry. Organic farmers use chemicals. Do they? They just use chemicals that are 100 years old, and they reckon that that's all right. <laughs>
3: which, which, Just because it's a hundred years old,
1: so if you spray your potatoes with copper sulfate right. for blight, yeah, because they've been using copper sulfate for a hundred years, that's all right. That's organic. Yeah, no, it I don't I, think so.
3: No, I, I agree with that. A natural fact. There is a, a one of my neighbours uses. He he argues because there's, there's a couple of guys that have got vineyards quite close to ours, and uh, and the one does it organically. And uses copper sulfate, which of course has an inherent problem. The other guy. Just um, you know, massac- massacres everything. He hasn't got a, um, a container that doesn't have a skull and crossbones on it. But you know, and but you like, don't drink did, his wine. Uh, well, we do actually. Do you? We do. Oh, <laughs> you of his wine, yeah,
4: hypocritical but, rat.
3: Yeah, absolutely, but, <laughs> but, but is a way of, Isn't it a way of trying to? <laughs> It, for me, for, to encourage Bob, like, you know, he's, a, he's a lovely bloke, but what I've been trying to do with Bob is to try and encourage him to look at alternative ways of, of enhancing his crop
4: rather than... Mm. I'll give you anything. something. Right, you've got a grass field. Mm. It is full of cooch grass. Right. We call it twitch. I don't know what you call it. And so my oh, old dad... Cooch grass. continue <laughs> we call it twitch. Yeah. Uh, my old dad, when I was a boy, my old dad would uh, make that field fallow. And all the summer, he would go up and down it with his tractor and his cultivator, pulling the roots out of the cooch grass. Pull, 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 pull. From an environmental point of view, that field was dead. Any skylarks, lapwings, anything tried to nest, he would go up with his cultivators. At the end of the year, he would have a pile of twitch... And uh, in the autumn, he would try and set fire to that twitch. First foggy morning, all those would have uh, got damp and it just smolder for weeks. And I think that was a waste of energy, waste of, what were they using then in the tractors, paraffin? Mm. Waste of time. Now, there is that dreaded name, Monsanto, and they have got Roundup. And, yes, Roundup goes over the field, couple of times you can still have birds nest in it, does minimal damage and it wipes out that twitch for five, six, ten years and so which is the best environmentally, which is the best for the land, which is best for the farmer, which is best for the wildlife, and yeah. you have to say round up. Sure. As much as that sticks in my gullet because I hate Monsanto and all the GM tricks they're up to. Yeah. But for me and part of the farming that we do both on my own farm and the uh, CRT's farms, Round up. Thank you very much. Very yeah. useful.
3: Well, that's that's the problem you see because I, I mean, we've talked about Roundup before, and I, I've, I've still um, advocate the use of uh, Roundup up by active because it does degrade very, very quickly. We've talked about it before, I and mean, I won't go over it I'm again. I'm
4: sorry, I'm boring. But no, no, oh, there, there, I do apologise. But there are other,
3: presumably, there are lots of different chemicals that conventional get, farming without wanting to use. Well, them the like other thing,
4: use. the other thing I get a lot of prob- problems with, and I don't know whether Phil does, don't know whether he's got sheep, worms, sheep, and pasture is a problem and I sometimes get worm infestations in my lambs and I need a really hard hitting mm. and so sometimes I will go with a chemical that is hard hitting just to really Clear them of it.
3: Mm. Do you and have a, I mean, the, the problem is with with the, the, everybody in this room now is we don't have an organic farmer in order to argue the organic farmer's case. Why don't and you I, get I, Prince Charles you? over have, then? Yeah, well, <laughs> if you would like to do yeah. a, do an appearance, yeah, perhaps you have got some influence there, Robin. I've got
4: influence in nobody. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: but uh, no, I mean, we um, Heather's. Uh, I think he did. He, 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 uh, he likes Heather quite a lot, but even even uh, that. Um, standing is <laughs> still unlikely to come into this uh, an sp- official invite it. sir if you'd like yeah. to come on yeah. just uh, yeah. Yeah. give the us a ring
0: the important yeah. thing Use the is the 800 number
3: <laughs>
1: yeah i i have no issue with organic farming if a proportion of the public want to buy food grown to that standard that's fine but as a producer that's not for me and i'll criticize specifics but for me i think that technology has been shown to allow us to use considerably less chemical than our forebears used in the 70s when we would use a lot more chemical both in quantity in a broad spectrum fairly nonspecific and we used a lot of them now we use a fraction of the amount of chemical it's well targeted there's lots of research into how long it lasts within the environment and its effects on the environment and the key thing is to maintain that research because if you take away the, the science and technology then you lose the information that tells you what effects it has on the environment and you know alright it's expensive to get chemicals onto the market but it's right that it is and that these chemicals are tested and proven to be safe or as safe as is practicable if used correctly and then make sure that farmers use them correctly the food is safe the environment's safe organic fits alongside but slagging organic off an organic slagging conventional off, I think is counterproductive. It's all farming.
4: But I I think there is a a whole area that farming, technology, science ought to go in. And that is, uh, I believe, that you could even argue GM in this case, and I don't like the way GM has gone and is going. But I would like to try and see scientists develop conventional crops, cereals or anything, that can fix their own nitrogen. If we could get cereal crops fixing their own nitrogen in the way that clover does or peas or beans, that could be not only the saviour of British farming, it could be such a, a, a beneficial advance in third world as well, mm. because at the moment we're using all this artificial oil-based stuff, which is balmy. Our food has got too many artificial nitrates in them, and whether... Uh, That is a cause for all the cancers and things we're getting, nobody seems to know. And so if only we could develop a way of, and I would have thought we'd got the science to do it, but of course once you've developed uh, seeds and species that can do this, then uh, the very companies that have got the money to develop it would actually be losing out because they would be killing all their fertiliser businesses and all the rest of it. I've had a long argument with the the government, and lost, of course, uh, that they used to have an independent plant breeding institute which ought to have been doing all this and ought to be doing it now. But, of course, they privatised it and sold it off, and I think the last owner was Monsanto. Um, I think there is a huge area in farming and farming science that people have ignored. And I don't know what Philip thinks about crops like wheat or even sugar beet or anything that can fix its own nitrogen from the air. It would be such a... I think it would be
1: fantastic. I mean, we grow peas as part of our rotation for that very reason. But like you, I can't believe that it's a million miles away to get to that point, at least not some of them and so on and i mean clover has a role to play in in the grass woods. my own belief is that it's market-led and we are accountable for what we do so if we do something that damages the environment that's our lookout we're responsible we're accountable so it's in our interest to use chemicals responsibly for the whole good both our business and the environment and it'll be there for the future
0: Well, I will make sure that we invite an organic farmer and also probably somebody from the Soil Association so we can hear the other side of the story. Because there's a bit of a gang here, isn't there?
4: I'll tell you the man to get, Robin Maynard. Robin is a a top man at the Soil Association. He used to present farming today. Thoroughly, thoroughly good man.
0: Two Robins in one day.
4: (laughs) You <laughs> stupid woman.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that if you sat here.
0: <laughs> OK. We promised you last week that we would find out what Farmer Phil was on about with regard to lords and ladies, and it turns out that they're an arum, which is a lily. And they're also called cuckoo pint, arum, starchwort, alders root, bobbins, friar's cow, kings and queens, parson and clerk, ramp, quaker and wake robin. So that's cleared it all up, hasn't it? (laughs) 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 They're those kind of lily-shaped things with those berries that are red and very poisonous. And they're in hedgerows. Perennial plant, 25 centimetres high, forms in patches, just like wild garlic. So there we are. Let's go over to Monty with his weekly worm cast. Bring it on, Monty. Monty's Worm Facts Earthworms react to advancing colder winter weather by burrowing up to two metres down in the soil to avoid the extreme cold. Thank you, Monty. Just before we go... Al, have you started lambing?
2: Yes, eventually, after all this time. We had our first twins born yesterday. You lambs, both you lambs, and doing fine. Fantastic. Yeah, so we should have a busy week on the old Zor bless flock. So I'll keep you informed. Thank you, Alison. I think we'll
0: leave it there, Farmer Phil.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs>
0: for our um, American listeners obviously no offence intended if you want to be offended listen once the show's ended (laughs) to Farmer Phil because he's got some new computer southern sayings I wish we'd had NCN on to do them himself but we haven't we're going to have to just attempt them (laughs) we're letting Phil go because we did think they were very (laughs) funny but from all at Wiggly Wigglers wishing you very well this week Goodbye, and if you want to be offended, tune in after the show. Goodbye from me, Heather. And me, Alison.
1: And me, Farmer Phil. Thank you. Which ones are we going to do then? Just do, do three, them. Three of them. <laughs> Go. Technology for country folk. <laughs> These are definitions, if you hadn't already guessed. So a chip, munchies for the TV. <laughs> and then microchip is what's in the bottom of the munchie bag. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and then reboot what you have to do right before bedtime when you have to go to the outhouse. <laughs> and probably lastly, we have the modem. <laughs> what you do to the hayfields?
2: <laughs> That's got to be the
0: best. That's a cocker modem. <laughs> modem. <laughs> so N C N is the accent right yet? I don't know, but we do. Have probably that. not. <laughs> if you've got any more and you're from the deep south, please phone our farm phone. And leave us a message. And if you want to take the mick of that old Hereford Jackson, <laughs> feel free, love. Feel
2: free.
1: <laughs> a click what you hear when you cock your gun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm. That'll do, it?
1: <laughs> Megahertz. When you're not careful getting the firewood.
0: Megahertz.
1: When you cut your finger off.
0: Oh, yeah, got it.
2: Oh, yeah, got it.
0: Megahertz. You get it? Yeah, ages ago.
1: Double click when you cock the double barrel.
0: <laughs> oh, get him off
1: <laughs> Keyboard where you hang the dang truck keys. I think that's yeah, enough. Go for a
0: podcast.
1: Podcast. <laughs> when you throw away the pea shells. <laughs>
0: Podcast seventy-two coming to you from the Wiggly Sofa. It's seventy-three, is it? <sighs> oh, Tucker.